TV. Hey, podcast of the television. And uh, for those of you who are wondering how this wound up on your feed. What, what, what is this podcast, you're asking? Yes. Well, first of all, uh, I'm Alonzo Duraldi, and that's Dave White. Yeah. And together we host the Linoleum Knife Podcast. But yes. over at Patreon, yes. we host a number of other programs, including Several. this one. Several. Yes. So many. So many. A plethora. Keep, it keeps us busy. It does. Sometimes too busy. <laughs> uh, and this is our sort of annual late summer. Hey, maybe you'd like to hear one of these. And if you like it, maybe you'll come subscribe to get more of it. That's, yeah. We're giving, we're giving them out for free this week. Yeah. Uh, primarily because you shouldn't be doing your job this week. I mean, like if you're at j- your job. Yes. You should be pretending to do your job. The only person who should be doing their job this week is Alonzo. And I'm not even sure about him. Like, he is leaving this afternoon uh, for Venice, Obviously, Italy. if you are medical personnel or a first responder or something, you should probably okay, also that goes be doing saying. your job this week. They're having the Venice Film Festival yes, this week. Yes, they are. Which is, honestly, whose idea was that? Um, this is the 80th one. So are I'm they sure always during this week? Uh, as far as I know. The week when everybody just wants to just, you know, not do anything. Well. The end of August. Last week of August. When no one is doing yeah, a job. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say, well, I mean, be doing they don't have job. Labor Day in Europe. But, I mean, Europe, August, everybody just goes away. Right. You go to Europe and, like, from the middle of July to the end of August, everything's closed. Yeah. <laughs> the street, like, tumbleweeds going down the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> but not the Venice Film Festival. Oh, boy. And Mr. Duralde is flying there this afternoon to go do his job for yes. a whole week. Yes, sirree, Bob. I'll be here organizing books. Okay, then. And other paperworky items. <laughs> Maybe cooking some things. But that's for Linoleum Knife and Fork to tell, yes. to tell you all about. Nice segue. This is the TV It is podcast. indeed. Do we have any letters? Uh, oh, for this TV podcast? Uh, you know what? We don't need them because, okay. like, the thing is, any letter you're going to hear, if you've not been listening to this podcast before, you're not going to, it's not going to make any sense to you. True. It will be about a subject that you did not hear us discuss. But the are there first any? Time. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look. <laughs> Whoever you are, if you sent us a letter, we'll talk about it next week when Alonzo comes home. Yes. You come home the day after Labor Day. I do. And then you sleep for a while. Yes. You rest like a, a little baby. <laughs> which is what you're not going to do mostly this week. Probably not. Uh, and then... Oh, no, I will, just at inopportune times of the it'll day. It'll be at weird times of the day. Your sleep schedule is going to be all screwed up when yeah. you come home. Yeah. Mine won't be. Good for you. I'll be... <laughs> Regular like clockwork. I will be sleeping like the insomniac I am all the way, all the time you're gone. <laughs> if you're in Los Angeles and you're free between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., I'll be awake. <laughs> we can chat. 
You can have I, a cup of tea or something. <laughs> what do you? What do you? Did you find any? I I, I did. Yes. Uh, do you want to hear them? I mean, are they are they super relevant and urgent? Uh, Can they be pushed to next week? One's about uh, uh, Sex in the City, and one's about uh, Christopher Hewitt. <laughs> okay, we can talk about all that stuff when you get back. Okay. Yeah. But let's get into it. Mm. Red, white, and royal blue. Uh-huh. I need for you to to go and in, into the backstory and talk about this. Like, start with the book and what it is and the, what this movie means and why and everything. Sure. Because you are a booster. <laughs> and if you hear some weird clanking, plonking, bumping, banging in the background, it's because the maintenance guy... Is in the apartment directly below, below us, us doing doing things. tasks. Yes, Continue. power tools. Uh, so yeah, Casey McQuiston's novel was a big, big bestseller. Yes. And what uh, other books have they written? Like, are uh, they I, a best-selling author before Red, White, and Royal Blue? I do not know. You don't know things. I don't know. All right. I, I, I I'm kind of shocked that this book came under my radar because I usually don't really pay attention to romance fiction, but. Uh, the folks in the Deck the Hallmark Double Decker group. Oh, gee, I wonder how it got under your radar. <laughs> how did you? How did you ever? Not just them come to learn about this. Not book? just them. Other in other. Oh, I just don't read romance fiction. No, you only simply watch every terrible romance <laughs> TV movie set at Christmas time, and also set at other times as well on the Hallmark Channel and other. Lesser quality <laughs> channels? Can you even believe it? The... Mostly just the Christmas okay. stuff. Believe me, I do not keep up with the, the weekend week it's outs. It's not just that you watch show. it. Part of your whole other job description is participating in the Deck the Hallmark podcast yes. with the dudes who do that show and talking about these Christmas movies with them and talking about the other movies that they show on these networks and lesser networks <laughs> than them. Uh yeah, how could this book have ever come across your eyes? <laughs> well, believe me, there's a lot of contemporary fiction of this ilk out there. Oh, that, I know. That sells well. And I'm that, aware. That, that mostly women read. Uh, that is the target demo for these books. Um, They're marketed to, to women? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But this and one... You? <laughs> this one got a lot of... Had a lot of buzz around it. And so when the movie got announced... You know uh, that that Amazon was doing it, then that Matthew Lopez, who did The Inheritance uh, yes. on the West End and on Broadway, would be writing and making his directorial debut doing it. There was even more buzz about it, and so I remember months ago, sort of posting like one of the early posters or something in the Deck Hallmark group because I'd heard people there talking about it, and they were like, "Oh, you should read the book. You should read the book. You should read the book." So I'm like, oh, "Okay, fine, I'll read the book because you know this isn't just your." Standard issue romance novel. It is a queer romance novel. It is about uh, the the forbidden affair between the son of the president of the United States and uh, a one of the princes of England. Yes. Um, is he? Wait. Which prince is he? Is he the the fir, the main prince that's going to become the king or whatever? No. Or is he? He's the younger. He's one. the Harry. He's the Harry. I mean, that's why his name is Henry. Do we think? Yeah, okay. Probably plays All into right. it. Um. And, uh, his and name so is Henry. His name I is didn't Henry. Just make that up. In it my is head. Henry. Yes. All right. Okay. So I read the book and I found it charming. It's you know it, it is no 
deeper than what it is, but for what it is, I thought it was pretty well written. Yeah. Um, and because so much of the novel, which unfortunately did not make it into the movie, is the emails and texts that they exchange. Okay. It almost takes on the nature of an epistolary novel. Yeah. I mean, they do see each other How and horny are the texts and emails in the book because we don't really see much of them in the film. Uh, they're is this is this a naughtier book than it was a film? Uh, oh God, I don't remember now. Oh, no, then I, it wasn't because you would have remembered. I mean, I think they're 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 horny-ish, but it's not like okay. they're they're not exchanging you know like pics or anything. <laughs> um, are they even? Queer. <laughs> uh, no, they look. They get down in the book, and they get down in the movie. No, and, I know. You I know. know. Um, Just talking about the courtship rituals via the internet. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so I, I thought I thought the book was charming, and then the movie uh, just premiered uh, last yes. month, in, within the last month on, on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Right. Where it, it immediately became like extremely popular and successful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know. Greatly viewed by them. Although I haven't read the piece yet, but the rap ran a story this morning that said like the the era of the streaming movie is over. What does that mean? Like the the made for streaming movie. You know, these sort of like Netflix original titles. But and, that's what this is. Yes. Okay. But I think that there. I assume the piece is saying that we are witnessing its last hurrah. That that financially speaking, it doesn't make sense to like spend feature film money on a movie. That isn't going to sell tickets and isn't going to have commercials in it. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe. I, I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, this particular streaming movie is doing quite well. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure they have some metric to see, like, did people subscribe to Prime just so they could watch this? Just so this, they could watch know? it. Right. Um, and, the, you know, as with any adaptation of any novel into a movie, uh, you know, things get left out. Those emails get left out. Yeah. Entire characters get left out in right. the in the book. Uh, the the president. Like what 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 character were you surprised to see not in? Well, the, the, film? the president's son has a sister in the yes. novel, and yes. so like she and he and the daughter of the vice president are this very tight unit. Oh, okay. And in the movie, we just get the vice president's daughter, and even she gets pretty short shrift. Do we ever get? Uh. Uh, like an ex-girlfriend or a girlfriend in the novel. Uh, you I, don't, he's a bisexual character, but you don't get that in the film other than him saying, I'm bisexual, which is enough. Right. But it is, I, I'm wondering if they if that was condensed uh, out, of the, out of the book. My recollection in the novel is that he is a bisexual with an exclusively male past. There's like a dude in prep school that he fooled around with. Yes. And there's... The movie gives us a uh, Politico reporter that he yes. had like a one night stand with. In the movie, I think it's like a congressman. Okay. Um, and oh yeah, that congressman is gone. By the way, he yeah. and, and there's a whole complicated subplot involving him that's also gone. Okay. Um, and the the president and her husband are divorced in the novel. But in the movie, he... The they're still married. But they're, they're still married. Yeah, but right. in both cases, still amicable, and the husband is a congressman while the... the, the, the okay, the, the I'm really sorry to report this, but I have no memory of the father being even in the film. He, it's it's, it's uh, Clifton um, Collins Jr. 
Oh, he's the father? Yes. Oh, I thought he was like the assistant or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the first gentleman or whatever you would call the. Let me tell you something. Clifton Collins Jr. was in a great indie film a couple years ago called Jockey that basically yes. no one saw. <laughs> and you need to watch it. It's really, really good. And when I saw him pop up in this movie, I was like, oh, hey, it's acclaimed character actor Clifton Collins Jr. <laughs> getting paid. Yeah. Because you know he didn't get paid a dime for, for Jockey. Jockey. Probably yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, I, I I found this movie charming and sweet in the same way that I found the book charming and sweet, uh-huh. if a little less so because of things that weren't there. And my, I know you have a lot of beef with this movie. My no, ma- I, I wouldn't call it a lot of beef. Okay. It's a lot of, you know, uh, shrugs. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, poached chicken breast <laughs> okay. that I have with this movie. My main issue with is no seasoning. My that is the that is the meat that I have association with enough. this film. Uh, my my main issue with this film is that um, the budget or lack thereof, I think, really clearly shows at particular moments. Um, there's some digital. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a scene on like the balcony of the White House with yeah. with the the sun and with Clifton Collins that is just like so supremely fakey that it just took me right out of it and there's a major moment at the end of the movie where uh a group of pro queer protesters come out to support this controversial relationship right and they've all got signs and stuff and y'all gays are controversial and and the the the, the, gays and bi's together forget and they are entirely (laughs) off screen in the film which is just awkward and weird um (laughs) Also, the fact that like one of the one of the signs that a lot of people carry in the course of the book is is a quote from the texts that have gone public. Okay. Um, when the president's son, by the way, the president's son, his name is Alex Claremont Diaz. He is played in this film by Taylor Zakhar Perez. Yes. Uh, and the prince, uh, Prince Henry, is played by Nicholas Galatine, who is also currently in the movie Bottoms. Who is really really funny in bottoms yes. go see bottoms definitely so um anyway in one of the texts he says he, the, the alex says history huh i bet we could make some and they give that to him as a line of dialogue in the film but okay. in, the, in the book it's in the text and it it becomes a thing that history huh becomes a thing that people have on history huh yeah history huh <laughs> It reads better than it speaks. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of things read better than they were spoken <laughs> in this film. Um, but you know, okay, look, I, here's the thing. I think yeah. I think that both the, the the book and the movie are savvy about the fact that. Did outside, we mention Uma Thurman? We did, right? No, we have not mentioned Uma okay, Thurman as the, the, president, the president with a, a Texas, wavering Texas accent, a Texas-ish accent. It's yeah. more like. I'm generically Southern sometimes and then yeah. sometimes not other it's times. It's not like she's President Ann Richards or anything. Yeah, you know? which um, would have been. Oh, come on. Yeah, chef's kiss. Like, just bring in Holland Taylor and just have her do Ann if Richards. If you know anything about Texas, you know that <laughs> Ann Richards uh, uh, is the ghost queen of the state. Yes. Should have been the president some at some yeah. point in her I, life. I would have even settled for a President Molly Ivins if she wanted to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, you 
know, it, it, I think that the, the, the book and the movie are savvy enough to know that outside of like certain areas of the United States or certain religious sects of the United States, the only way to have a queer relationship that is like controversial and has to be kept occluded is within structures like politics or sports or celebrity of any kind. And to have it double-sided with someone in Europe, you know, if you, the other person is a member of the royal family, like, that gives you uh, a context for why sure. they have to sneak around, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, 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 I think it also gives you a context about, like, why somebody, you know, would be as old and smart as Henry is and still feel the need to, like, have to keep it all on lockdown, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, that is a unique uh, life position to find oneself in, you know, part of a royal family that... Expects heirs. Well, it's not just that they expect heirs. They expect a code of behavior that is uh, in cement. Sure. And un unviolable and or is that inviolable inviolable it's inviolable and if you butt up against it in any way they will uh squash you yeah and that is historically oh yeah we've seen (laughs) it happen so um so i get that um you know as far as this being like i mean i refer to this as a queer film it's a gay film it's a gay gay plus bi film it's a gay plus bi film it is it it is not queer in any sense of oh no 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 it is not you're right you are right about that and we agree about that but i but i'm not mad at it for that because mad at it because look (laughs) that would require far too much of my energy (laughs) years ago when when hallmark was still not doing anything remotely queer inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, when, when the, the original, like, you know, lesbian kiss in a commercial controversy was happening. Oh, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. I made the joke on Twitter. I said, I, I, I said, I, in the name of equality, I want a, a Hallmark queer romance that is as bland and sexless as all of the other ones. And now... <laughs> Everyone's dreams have come true. And this movie you're, is... You're the, it was the wish your heart made, Well, and now... This is sexier than a Hallmark movie. They're here, eh, okay, it, sure. It, it is. Yeah. Do, trust yes, me. Because they're sex. Because they're sex, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, that's, so I, I would yeah, say... I will give you that. <clears throat> I would say this <clears throat> is the queer equivalent of like... Like those Netflix to all the boys I've loved before movies okay. kind of thing. And... The other thing is, you and I are not the target audience of this. That's correct. This is a movie for straight women. Sure, I guess. This is... I I need to hear from some straight women out here. uh, They will tell you. All right. Uh, Do you know what Yowie is? I do. Yowie is this... Is a... a, uh, uh, You saying it right? It is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's a, a subgenre of manga and anime yeah. uh, that are these like gay boy love stories. Right. Um, often very kind of willowy and hair like, you know, no facial hair, no body hair. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's a lot and there's a lot of sort of 
Kissy Twinks. Kissy Twinks. Yeah, there you go. And there's and there's a lot of like soulful staring and maybe eventually some some Who you has know, time for soulful some staring? physical stuff. Well, the fans of Yowie got all the time I mean, in the I'm, world. I'm for always it. staring soulfully at you, lover, but you know there's more to it. I, I yeah. understand. Um, but yeah, so I to me this is this is a a Yowie movie. Yeah, and that's fine. And those should exist. And I I want there to be all kinds of representation for all kinds of audiences. Yes. And um, if there are, you know, heterosexual cisgender women who get off on the thought of <laughs> two really attractive, you know, handsome gentlemen uh, making eyes at each other at a you know state function, and maybe Kissing you know post twinks exactly, yeah. and 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 maybe you know like uh, secretly hooking up after a polo match, right? Uh, great, let they deserve after the, that after media. the shower after the polo <laughs> match. Well, don't kink shame, Dave. Some people want that horsey smell on the guy. No, maybe. no, 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 no. I'm saying uh-huh. he took a shower after the polo match. Did he? Probably. No, he's still got the uniform. Oh, on. does he? Yeah. Okay, well then that's more realistic. Yes. <laughs> I was also that. That's what kind of gobsmacked me. It's like, wait, you guys can afford a polo match and you can't afford to fake the balcony of the White House? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, what I, did yeah. you? What are you saying to me the other day? Something about. Do gays do it missionary? Yes. No, no. What, that, what, what, this, where this, did that come from? On Twitter, <laughs> this prompted a whole conversation <laughs> where somebody actually asked, wait a minute, gays do it missionary? Who asked? I, who, who was the asker? I don't know where this started, but it became a thing online where everybody was talking about, <laughs> yes, dummy. Um, you know, but Did they explain how? They did. Did they explicitly detail the way the two bodies... I, I believe so, yes. And, and, well, Entwine? The, well, and the movie shows you that. That. So, you know, that's yeah, that's kind, where the conversation kind, comes kind from. <laughs> Look, for yeah. for the Hallmark adjacent school of I romantic know, comedy, I know, that I scene know. is is the scene in from passages. passages. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'll tell you, a gajillion times more realistic than uh the the Anthony's "Quote unquote deflowering from the season finale of uh, and just like that." Oh, I haven't seen that show, so I don't. Yes, know you have. Oh, and just like that, and just like that. I thought you were saying talking about Heartstopper. No, in my head, I just went. No, 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 no. His deflowering. <laughs> On and just yes, like that, the middle that flower, the 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 <laughs> middle aged plus Anthony is finally. Uh, uh, receptive yes, for the first a, time. The, the receptive partner. Yes. And <laughs> in a position that nobody starts in. And he makes the funniest, funniest faces. Yes. Because it was AKA a joke. A.K.A. not realistic faces. Yeah. The joke ever. earlier in the season was the, um, the, the, you know. the other party in this transaction was like, you know, very well endowed. And yes. everyone saw it on the Drew Barrymore show. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, like it, it, when it happens in this movie, it, it is a kind of missionary where, yes, if someone were doing that for the first time, that's how they would be for maximum comfort and, like, you know, and, and, getting and used to it. And everything, all. yeah. And just like that, not even remotely. No, 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 no. Um, okay, well, since you put it all that way, I suppose I hate it a little less <laughs> now. Fair enough. Given context and... Intended audience. Yeah. I am not the intended audience. 
I mean, you're not wrong for thinking that the guy who made the inheritance would be like, uh, you know, I was thinking guns a blazing. Maybe like, let's queer this up. You yeah. Know? All right. Um, comes down to this. I've spent a lot of time after watching this movie thinking about what is my relationship to corniness mm. and what iterations of it do I allow? Because sometimes I do. Sure. Don't make me watch a horse movie. Oh, man. Get out your handkerchiefs. Get a movie about a horse. I don't care how bad that movie is. (laughs) I will love that movie. (laughs) And I think it sometimes comes down to like this tipping point of aesthetic choices. Yeah. Narrative choices, production design choices, casting choices, the things people are allowed to say to each other in the script. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's go back to the horse movie scenario. I'm thinking about Dream Horse. It was like the first movie I saw after the pandemic, I think. Tony Collette. And it's like once once the vaccine came, I was like, I'm going to see Dream Horse. And a quirky town they, of Brits. That was being a movie that was in, in they were showing trailers in February of 2019 for right. Dream Horse. Just and before. I, and I was like, yay, Dream Horse of 2020. And I was like, yay, Dream Horse with Tony Collette and the horsey. And I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> and then came the pandemic. And I had to wait and wait and wait till the vaccine. And I got that vaccine. I was like, I'm going to see Dream Horse <laughs> with Tony Collette and the horsey. And I do it. And I was like, this movie is fine. <laughs> Okay. But I'm having the very best time. And so, like, here's what is happening in Dream Wars. It is not set in a in an aspirational environment. Yeah. It is set in a small village in Wales with Regular, normal people. Working class folks. All having their lives. Yeah. Okay? If you were going to show me, you know, aspirational settings, it needs to be one that I personally... Aspire to. ...find appealing, (laughs) right? So, like, I've never seen Emily in Paris, but I think I I might get hooked on it. (laughs) Because I've been to Paris one time in my life and was overwhelmed by the... The Parisness of it all. everything of it. And I was like, oh, my God, this place, right? And and I was only there for two days. Yeah. Uh, But I have a feeling I might get hooked on Emily in Paris. Just because it's the 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 idealized Amelie version <laughs> of it, version yeah. of that, um, where everything is you know oh maybe magical we, yeah, <laughs> and so <clears throat> I don't have any feeling for bland fancy rich white people like n- ever sure like they don't interest me. Unless unless it's, it's Maggie Smith and Judy Dench. Unless it's like Downton Abbey kind of stuff, yeah. or unless it's Sex in the City kind of stuff. Because Got mostly, it. we have talked about this a lot on earlier episodes. I used to watch Sex in the City, and I am currently watching it just like that. 96% for the outfits and the shoes and the bags. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. I 
just want to see what I want to see what my ladies are wearing. Right. Okay. So, so there's that. Okay. The intrigue of ooh, a prince and a president's son. What will happen? Like, I don't care. Mm. I also don't care about hallmark handsome leads. Right. They are they they they. It is. I am a Teflon, and they are olive oil. Like, in fact, they're not even olive oil. They're canola oil. Like, <laughs> I, it just pours right off of me. I, 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 I look at these two leads, and as funny as I know that Nicholas Galassine is in Bottoms, yeah. I look at him here, and I think I don't. I, I, like okay on the episode of uh, uh, the other two when everyone suddenly found Brooke to be. Utterly invisible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is how I look at this guy. I look at this guy and I go, is there a human being standing there? There's not. There's just this thing of a tall, a tall, a tall uh, dude, uh, I guess, standing in front of me. And then there's this other tall dude next to him. And they are saying to each other how horny they are for each other and how much they love each other and how deep this relationship has become like weeks <laughs> Right. Into uh, hating each other and then loving each other. Uh, well, again, the, and then, the and then they want to like, get married help. and spend the rest of their lives together. I didn't believe a word that either of them said to each other. I felt z- I felt nothing when it came to their romantic chemistry. Like, okay. you say you're horny for each other. Prove it. More than just this obligatory sex scene. Uh-huh. Show me... That there's some kind of yearning, longing, burning, anything. Show me a a screwball comedy level of repartee, of 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 saying funny stuff back and forth to each other with an undercurrent of lust. Mm. Show me that. Yeah, I ain't get that in this movie. I got none of that in this movie. None, zero, absolutely zero. I think the filmmakers are counting on the sort of generic, handsome qualities of these two men Mm -hmm. to get it over. I do approve of this. I do approve of there being a bisexual character as one of the leads Mm -hmm. because, you know, sure, we have passages in theaters at the moment, Mm -hmm. but he's a bad, bad (laughs) bi. Oh, he's a bad, bad bi. And and as much as I love a bad, bad bi and yeah. a treacherous gay and all of the villainous iterations in between, like le- legitimately my favorite character in this movie is the is the conniving journalist <laughs> who is out to ruin both of them. Oh, I like Sarah Shahi as the... Uh... I also like Sarah Shahi because she has the funny, sharp, she does. acerbic, deadpan... Lines and delivery. Yeah, she's giving you something that the rest of the film is not giving. For sure, and I, I wanted more of that. Yeah, no, from I, everyone. I, I know that the, the 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 audiences who clamor for more bisexual representation in film and TV with the asterisks of please not a home wrecker. <laughs> oh, then passages is like forget get over it. get over that prejudice for just a moment and go see passages because. <laughs> Franz Rogowski, one of our great contemporary actors. Ooh, he's the he's the baddest bi. He's bad bi to the bone. Yeah. Like and he's awful in all the ways. <laughs> Deliciously so. 
wickedly, I, selfishly, narcissistically, all of it. I, as somebody who knows the beats and tropes of the Hallmark film backwards and forwards, yeah. I liked the fact that the rift in the relationship isn't about some dumb misunderstanding. Yeah. Or about some Well, okay, yeah, that's true. Or about some it's about something flaw in the relationship. It's about would larger genuinely things. befall them if they were really these people in yes. this real situation. It's about yes. it's about the prince sort of panicking at the idea that he he can't allow himself to have this relationship. Politics is in about optics way. quite often more than it is about humanity. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought I that part of it I, I certainly appreciated. But I mean yeah, you're not wrong. It it, it of is course I'm it is it, it it is very bland, but I think Hallmark has broken me to some extent, and uh, so oh, it has. Uh, I, it I, is one hundred percent broken you. I can attest. This kind of movie, I grade on a curve, and so on the on the Hallmark curve, it's a triumph. Great. <laughs> That's how we're grading. Fine. It's fine. It's this fine. movie's fine. Yeah. I had to really force myself to stick with it mm-hmm. like at one point when I sat down to watch it the first night it got to be about 9 p.m my bedtime and there mm-hmm. was still like 35 minutes to go and I was like you know what <laughs> sleep is my favorite thing <laughs> and this movie is not even on the list of my top 10 favorite things and so if maybe sometime tomorrow I'll sit back down with the remaining 35 minutes what if something really awesome happens in the last 35 minutes? What if they what if it doesn't work out? What if they don't get together? Mm. I'm sorry to spoil this film for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, but it works out and they get together. <laughs> it all works out. If that's what you want, Go get it. And a lot of people do. Y'all better go see Passages <laughs> and Bottoms. Go see Passages and Bottoms. Queer films. Passages, queer film. And Bottoms, mutt. queer film. And Mutt, yes, also Mutt. Queer film. Currently, all three of them in release in movie theaters right now. Mutt, Passages, Bottoms. Three yes. films with one word titles. All three of them great queer films of 2023. Yes. All of them with Complicated. Complicated people. Sometimes. Not behaving well. Brutally complicated people who are not behaving well. In fact, I don't think... Is there a person, is there a character in any of these three films who is fully behaving well? Adelix Arcopoulos. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw, I think, is not doing anything bad. Yeah, he's not, he's not being a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> Three queer films. Three really good queer films. If this is the one you're going to watch, you are legally obligated to go buy a ticket to at least one of them. I think that's fair. Yes. That's the law. I just made the law. (laughs) I'm the lawgiver on this planet of the apes. (sighs) Let's move on. Speaking of cinema homosexualis. This is a good segue. Uh, where did you learn that this existed on the internet? Uh, someone sent it to our Instagram account, and I'm now blanking on who, but whoever that was, thank you. For those of you who are unaware of this, the late film critics Gene Siskel and Robert... Robert? Robert? <laughs> Roger. 
Roger Ebert began, uh, they were both film critics in Chicago for two different Chicago newspapers. Yes. They were uh, together in the 1970s, in the late 1970s, on a show that aired on PBS, on public television, called Sneak Previews. Yes. And I remember the very first episode of Sneak Previews because I had seen it advertised somewhere, and I was like, ooh, a movie review show on PBS. We get that channel. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 70s. We did not have cable yet. There were three channels plus PBS and some local, you know, local stations. Mm. Um, I started watching it, and I immediately was like, oh, I'm watching this every week. Mm -hmm. Because they would talk about the films that were at my small town's local theater and the films that were never going to come to my small town's local theater. Like the story of Adele H and things like that. (laughs) You know, like... um, No, I mean, we've we've talked about how influential this show was on us. On our lives, yeah. They they put the fire in me to see these movies that I knew were never going to come to Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. And then never came to Hobbs, New Mexico. <laughs> and then when my family finally moved to Dallas, Texas, I was like, oh, I finally get to go see the movies <laughs> that they're talking about on sneak previews. I, I saw I saw Diva and uh, My Dinner with Andre, among others. Because of, because sneak, of sneak previews. previews. All right. So, now... You might not think, given the personal lives of these two gentlemen, uh, that they would have the attitudes that they had on this particular episode of Sneak Previews. Because Roger Ebert was not just a film critic, he was also an occasional screenwriter. Yes. And he wrote one of the wildest movies of the early 70s, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And if you've never seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, prepare to be offended by many things that you <laughs> see in that film. <laughs> but watch it anyway. But watch it anyway, because it's amazing. Yes. It's crazy. Um, uh, and he also wrote several other screenplays pseudonymously for that director, Russ Meyer. Russ Meyer. Whose films were aggressively heterosexual, let's yes. say. <laughs> they were extremely about breasts. Yes. And they were, they were very horny and quite violent as well. Um, so he wrote those things. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, well, you're super straight, right? Yeah. And maybe not cool. And it's the early 80s. And it's the early 80s. And then there's Gene Siskel. Yeah. You would not know this to look at him. But just go dig it up on the internet. Yeah. Google Google Gene, Gene Siskel, Siskel and Playboy, Playboy Club. Playboy Mansion. Yeah. The Grotto. Uh-huh. <laughs> and check out where he was partying. Yeah. He he because you know Hef was from Chicago. Yeah. Gene was Gene. Gene was getting it in yeah. back in the day. Yeah. All right. He was having a 70s. <laughs> he was having a 1970s. If you don't know anything about the Playboy Mansion. Maybe that's all for the best. <laughs> if you want the sanitized version of it, we do encourage you to go to the internet and watch uh, Hugh Hefner's Roller Disco Pajama Party, <laughs> which was a television special that aired on Thanksgiving <laughs> on NBC. You know, family viewing time. Yes, gather around, everybody. <laughs> and um, we... <laughs> so, like... You told me that this episode was on YouTube. Yeah. 
episode of Sneak Previews from 1982 called Changing Attitudes Toward Homosexuality. And I thought, oh boy, what's this going to be? <laughs> what are these guys going to talk about? How are they going to say these things about this thing? Yeah. I was not... I, I, I Honestly, I had a, I had a bit... Ste- I had steeled myself a little bit. I was giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm always ready to like, you know dodge a brick bat in a situation like this. Right, because it's, you know, this was you never know. 40 years ago. Yeah. Two straight film critics talking about the gays on national television. Yeah. What are we, what are you going to, what are we going to get? Guess what we get? The most right-on attitudes. Yes. The most progressively minded heterosexual gentleman of yeah. 1982 given us not just, uh, I think at the time people were going to just be happy with a little tolerance, mm-hmm. but they were aggressively being like, you know what? Gays have been shortchanged and treated like garbage in cinema, yeah, they, and let's change it, and let's talk about the movies that might be changing it a little. Like, Siskel quotes the celluloid closet. Yeah. He quotes Vito Russo's necrology in the back of the book, where yeah. he lists, you know, like... 60, 70 characters in the course of at that point of cinema who die in movies either, you know, at their own hands or, yeah. uh, you know, by by foul play. I mean, so like they're, they're giving you historical context. They're talking about like, you know, the importance of this new, this kind of mini wave that happened. And there was a mini wave happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know... And they even give you the, the specific historic context of like, all right, well, cruising happened and it was you know, roundly decried by queer people. And, and they talked about the, the organization. Yeah, the protest. Of, of, of gay protest against cruising. And how, you know, in turn, this led to, uh, between between the, the backlash against cruising and the success of La Cajo Fall as a foreign film in the United States, those two factors contributed to this moment in the early 80s, right before like Reagan and AIDS really came in and ruined everything. AIDS was happening, but it was happening uh, just to... Uh, it was still the, very the much first, in like the... The first wave of people were getting it. It was called GRID. They were yeah. calling it gay-related immune deficiency. Exactly. And, um, and I honestly don't think a lot of straight people even knew what was happening. Probably not. At the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is this is 1982. Some did, but mm, for the most part, outside the ones of, who were being affected by exactly it. Yeah. like within the community, and if you were like in the medical community, you might have had some inkling of it. So anyway, in 1982, and I just wrote about this for the book I have coming out next year. Um, you get this mini wave of studio movies trying to take queer lives seriously and yeah. and handling them with some level of dignity. So you've got. Uh, Making Love, you've got... Um, you want the list? I wrote down every title that they talk about. Well, I, I, off the top of my head, it's Making right. Love, Personal Best, and Victor Victoria are yeah. sort of the main ones of that year. You've also got Partners that year, which is <laughs> the worst. What if cruising, but also a sitcom. Yeah. yeah. And actually directed by James Burroughs, who is one of the most acclaimed yeah. sitcom directors in the business. Yeah. Like, has the Midas touch... Yeah. I don't know how many Emmys this guy has. There was no the Midas one, touch for this film. Yeah, the one movie he directs, he's King Midas in reverse, uh, as the as the birds would say, uh, or the hollies, rather. Um, yeah, so what's, what else are they talking about in this series? Uh, Only When I Laugh, which is a long-forgotten oh, right, yeah. long film. But James Neil- Coco got a, a 
Best Supporting Actor nomination. Yeah, Neil it. Simon. Uh, Comedy. Uh, Marsha Mason was in it. Yeah. Uh, they reach back in time to the reprehensible late 60s film with Richard Burton and, uh, and Rex, Harrison. Uh, Rex Harrison called Staircase, yeah. which if you are a generally happy person <laughs> and feeling great about your life, and you watch Staircase, it will sink you into a pit of despair for the next 24 hours. It is, I've never seen anything so agonizing and misery inducing yeah. than Staircase. Yeah. Like it, when we were. Uh, it makes Eraser Head look like the young girls of Rochefort. Okay. Don't even breathe the name Eraser Head <laughs> in the same breath because Eraser Head is, I don't even know why you brought it up. It's not. At all, what we're talking about here. I'm just trying to think of like like movies that made that. No, that... Eraserhead is about the anxiety of yes. heterosexuality. Okay. Staircase is about the misery, misery of, of of life. Yeah. And specifically, the misery of life that you deserve <laughs> if you're queer. Yeah. It is an utterly rotten disaster. It is one of the worst films ever made by one of our greatest directors. Yeah. The man who made Singing in the Rain yeah. made this film. Yeah. What was anyone thinking? Yeah. Um, if you've never seen it and now you're and now we've piqued your curiosity, steal yourself. Yeah. It's because it will it's harm you. Staggering. Yeah. But you know what? That movie was less than 15 years old when yep. they recorded this episode. Yep. So it, for a lot of filmgoers, it would be in the recent yep. memory. And they do talk about how bad it is. Oh yeah, oh, no, yeah. yeah, they're they're. Uh, they talk about that. boys in the band. Yeah, they talk about cruising. Mm -hmm. They talk about taxi zoom clothes. Yes, and that blew my mind because they are not just talking about taxi zoom clothes. They're like, yeah, you should see taxi zoom clothes. And I'm like, maybe no. <laughs> well, but that's the kind of movie they would a, recommend on this show. It is a kind of movie they would recommend on that show. But can you imagine straight people going to see taxi zoom clothes <laughs> in 1982 and walking out going, no, 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 no. There's a great uh, like. It's a great movie. There's a great magazine cartoon. As, as friend and neighbor Gary Cotty would say, uh, he would go, oh, that's a toughie. <laughs> In the celluloid closet, they, they reprint a cartoon from, I think, from Christopher Street Magazine, yeah. where they're, they're, these two people are talking about this popular wave of gay films. Right. And somebody said, oh, I read that Taxi Zoom Clo outgrossed uh, Ordinary People. Right. And he's like, right. what? That's crazy. Ordinary How? People won the Oscar. And then he pulls the headline away. And he goes, no, no, no. It says Taxi Zoom Clo grosses out Ordinary People. <laughs> Okay, so then they talk about Le Cage aux Folles. Yep. Uh, you mentioned personal best and partners. They also talk about uh, Death Trap. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Which um, them talking about it in this context would be a spoiler, but I guess it had no, been out for a while by yeah, that point. Yeah, it had been out for a bit by then. Uh, so what I loved about this episode was their attitudes are so optimistic. They're like, wow, things are changing. Isn't it great? There's going to be a lot more. And then the 80s came. Right. But, and and things, even then, it's, it's sort of... changed entirely. It's kind of tempered with the, I hope it's not going to be too sort of like flavor of the month and everybody decides, oh, we've already done that movie. It know? was. It was flavor of the month. And then AIDS became very well known. Yes. And the public relationship, the general public's relationship to queer people was, oh, wait. Yeah. Did we think we might start liking you a little bit in the 1970s? We've changed our minds. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of how it was. Yeah. No, no. Queer people were vilified all through the 80s. 
after just these little bit of incremental gains yeah. in the late 70s-ish into the early 80s. And then it was sort of like, oh, no, 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 you're all diseased. Yeah. Get away from us. Yeah. And so in the late 80s, you have like indie movies like Parting Glances and um, uh, uh, Desert Hearts. And, that was me you crumbling know, up my notes. Yes. And <laughs> imports like My Beautiful Laundrette and Doña Erlinda and Her Son. Right. Um, you know, toward the very end of the decade, you get like Torch Song Trilogy. But yeah, Hollywood was not interested in, nope. for quite a while there. Yep. And moving to characters who have often been queer coded. Well, queer red. Sure. Red as queer, never actually queer coded. I guess that would imply that would imply intention. Oh right, yes, never by the yes. author, yeah. only by audiences. Yeah. Uh, there's Marcy, a new, there's a new Peanuts special on Apple Plus. Yes, uh, and the the it's called One of a Kind, Marcy. Yes, and if you all have not heard us talk about these before, the new Peanuts specials on Apple TV. Plus, How many of them have there been? Like half a dozen so far. Uh, four or five, Ish. I think. Yeah, are so good. They are very good. I, I was a little, you know, reluctant to sure to watch them, but. I was, you know, I felt a bit confident because that late, that last Peanuts theatrical film was pretty good. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And the very first one they did for Apple Plus is so wonderful and so moving and so, so great that I thought, okay, I'll, I'll keep watching like, these. And they've all been very good. Yeah, go back and, like, if you haven't seen the Earth Day one with Sally, if you haven't seen the Mother's Day one featuring Peppermint Patty, yeah. those are great. Lucy's School is cute. There's yeah. one we have, the, there's a New Year's one we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Seen and, uh, and, and so now we have one and only Marcy, uh, where a, a very much secondary character kind of gets to the spotlight. Yeah. But it's about her not wanting the spotlight. It's about, yeah, yeah. Marcy... Uh, is helping uh, Peppermint Patty uh, as a caddy so that Peppermint Patty can win a golf tournament. And what you learn about Marcy as as Peppermint Patty's caddy is that Marcy is advising Peppermint Patty all along the way with clubs and shots Strategies. strategies and all this stuff. And also Marcy is in general a supportive person a problem-solving person, a person who sits in class while Charlie Brown is mishandling the chalk and making it squeak and making it squeak on the board and <laughs> go on. <laughs> she says a thing. Her, her internal monologue. Her internal monologue is, "I need to fix that for him." Someone needs to fix that for him right now. He's doing it the wrong He's way. He's doing it the wrong fix way. It right now. And the reason Alonzo and I are laughing is because, I mean, y'all don't live in this house. You don't know. But I'm, uh, you know. That's somebody else's internal monologue I, as I, well. <laughs> and that somebody else is one of a kind. I like Dave White. I like to help. <laughs> I like to help. I like to help. I like to fix things. I like to step in, even if I'm not asked, (laughs) to help and to fix. Do you have a problem that I have diagnosed? I will step in and fix it. You didn't even ask for me. I am tell you all the ways. I am pathologically helpful. And that is something I've known about myself for some time now. Um, And, you know, we work on it. But I felt very connected to Marcy <laughs> in this episode. 
because what happens is people recognize that Marcy is good at helping and good at supporting and good at fixing things. And they decide, well, you should be class president. And she's like, no, 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 no. Do not want. <laughs> they elect her anyway, and she melts down and has to, like, go hide. Yeah. Um, she has a problem speaking in public. I don't share that problem. I've done that millions of times, and I'm good at it. Uh, I think I've decided I'm good at it. And <laughs> Not so much on camera, but... I don't want to be on camera. No. Face I mean, to I'm face fixing to be on great. camera this week to, because I'm helping Christy with you on yes. Breakfast All Day. But um, it's not my preference. Yes. I'm not interested in that necessarily. Uh, but we often, you and I talk about this as our working, obviously we are married, we have a spouse relationship, but we also have a working relationship where yeah. I am very, very behind camera facing you. Mm-hmm. Like... All the notes for the shows, the podcasts, all the research for the podcasts, all the scheduling of the podcasts, all the the bookkeeping of the business, all the everything. That's my stuff. I like that stuff. I don't have to be presenting forward. I can just be in the back doing stuff to make the things take place. So... Like next time we're gonna talk about a a, a, a PBS documentary that we watched. Uh, I know we've gone real PBS uh, mm-hmm. this episode and the next one uh, about a woman named Ruth Lyons that neither one of us really knew much about, but I sort of stumbled onto and forced upon you. <laughs> we don't have time to talk about it today, but we will next yes. time. Next episode, um, she was a Cincinnati talk show host in the 50s, and she was something else. Mm-hmm. A force of nature. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, they handled this very, very well. They handled the idea of the, of the, of the introvert yeah. who wants to still do things very, very well. Um, I would not refer to myself as an introvert, but I would refer to myself as someone who simply likes to be in the back and who needs a lot of alone time. <laughs> uh, you know, the other peanuts thing I've always liked to, to say in reference to you is, you yes. know, uh, as Lucy once called herself, Madam Full Charge. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, this is very gently handled. It is very thoughtfully handled. There is so much nuance in these characters that these specials have really let bloom yeah in ways that they never could in a four panel comic strip in a newspaper um or even in the early films which are great yeah great kids movies that full of interesting things to say about life mm. uh here's what else we love about these current specials they are built for Gen Z, sorry, Gen Z, Gen X nerds like us who grew up with Peanuts and who have had lifelong obsessions with Peanuts, particularly the secondary characters in Peanuts. So they routinely, each each new special, they trot out a vintage character that maybe you never even knew existed, yeah. but that people like us go, it's Crybaby Booby. <laughs> it's Tybalt. <laughs> it's Tybalt. It's it's Jose uh, Peterson. It's Jose Peterson. It's Shut Up and Leave Me Alone. It's <laughs> Roy. Yeah. It's Roy. It's the cat next door. It's yeah. whatever. Um, in this in this special, you get the re, the the re the rebirth of Crybaby Booby. <laughs> I mean, think 
of it this and way. She was a blip in yeah, the, in the Peanuts universe. But she was a she was a story arc for and like then, a week, <laughs> for like a week or two, and then abandoned. But yeah. you know, with the a fans name, remember with her. a name like that, <laughs> you can't you can't forget her. Um, you know, like think of it this way: in the opening, I mean, uh, I assume in the opening credits of The Simpsons, I haven't really watched The Simpsons in a while. But you know, there's that part where where Bart's skateboard flies through the air, and you see the gajillion people in Springfield. Right, like they have built such a full town at this point of yep. characters. Yep. You know, of of the old guy and the you know Nelson and 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 you know Milhouse's dad and you know whatever whoever else the yeah. Bouvier sisters. Um, Peanuts kind of did the same thing along the way, yeah. and so. In these specials, without, without marketing it, yeah. So, much. so in yeah. the specials, they have to sort of populate the frame, and so it's like, sure, why not bring back Shermie? You know, why not bring back? Yes, we get a Shermie cameo. You here. know, all these yeah. characters, and so that's that's a that's a, a used nice to be regular, but then just yes, sort of vanished, pushed to the side, pushed into the. So background. it's a it's a fun yeah. Easter egg for those of us who know, but if you don't know, it it doesn't matter. It's just it's just part of the landscape. Um, but yeah, and I think it does that thing that good kids media can do, where it's sort of like encourages conversation maybe or at least right. encourages the the seeds of empathy or lets in a kids. kid see themselves yeah let's a, let's a kid see themselves or let's a kid understand somebody who isn't like him but maybe why they are the way they are yep. you know yep. and and so yeah i i, I love these I'm, I'm really impressed with what they're doing um paige braddock uh lesbian cartoonist who had a daily strip whose name I can't remember now, but she was very close with Schultz before he died and is very much one of the kind of executors of the... Not for better or worse. No, no, no. That's that Lynn, uh, Lynn somebody else. Yeah. Um, and, and she's one of the executive producers. Like She's really had a hand in all of the the, the post-mortem Schultz project. Yeah. And I think she's really helping to kind of keep the sparky of it all you know, in there. Yeah. And now we're done. We are. Alonzo, go to Italy. I will. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode and you don't usually get to hear uh, LKTV, you can by becoming a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Four bucks a month. And yeah. that means you get this, you get LKTV, you also get Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, you also get LKRX, which Indeed. is a daily... Uh, recommendation. Or daily cultural uh, recommendation and sometimes explanation yeah. from uh, the two of us on the Patreon page Indeed. that you will have access to. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, check it all out. Um, and if you're already a Patreon subscriber, we always, as of course, thank you for being one. Yep. And uh, we'll be back soon with more. Until then, goodbye.